Tate Chronicles now transmitting. Welcome to the Tate Chronicles on Healthcare Now Radio. And now, here's your host, Jim Tate. Good day, citizens of the free world from border to border, coast to coast, and to all the ships at sea. I bring you a warm welcome. This is your correspondent, Jim Tate, and thank you for tuning in to Tate Chronicles. We're at HEMS 2023 in Chicago. It was snowing two days ago. It's clear with a blue sky today. Join me as we cut through the fog that exists at the leading edge of healthcare technology. I'm really pleased today. My guest today is Malika Amini, who is the founder and CEO of Trayet Health. This is a company committed to transforming how mental health is diagnosed treated and managed. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm really fascinated. I was looking at your website and reading some things. What got you into this? Why did you create this company? What was your personal interest? Um, that's a great question. I um, am an engineer, data engineer mm. by background and a cognitive scientist by background. Um, and I had applied all of my knowledge initially to flight dynamics, so nothing related to healthcare. Did you say flight dynamics? Flight dynamics, so how to get from point A to point B safely. Yeah. Um, and um, I grew up in a family of physicians, so it really was familiar territory to me. But when I got my MBA, I got into healthcare through consulting at the Boston Consulting Group and really got to learn a mm. lot about the different business model, the conflicting strategies in subsectors of healthcare, which everyone is aware of. Um, but I got more hands-on involved when a, a loved one of mine actually started to have neurological and some of these similar issues that we're addressing today. Mm-hmm. Um, and the complexity of the process is what um, really got me into the business that uh, that I created. Uh, in doing research, it was very clear that all of the patients with these types of conditions are complex. They have multiple com- conditions that come together. Uh, and there was enough evidence that never made it from bench to bedside that mm-hmm. the model that needed to be disrupted was really in how the patients get diagnosed. Um, they you need to have more symptom level data. It needs to consider the whole patient. Underlying medical conditions could cause brain related mm-hmm. symptoms and a number of other factors that could impact behavioral symptoms. Um, the evidence was there. I had a data and a brain background. So I uh, went on to really build the tool that would make this a reality to collect the data, to analyze and synthesize that information and to provide a new model, a disruptive model of how patients are diagnosed. And when did you start this? How long has Trade um, Health been around? Well, the Trade Health idea has been around for a while. Um, in 2013, uh, actually 2014, uh, we first started with a diagnostic manual and a spreadsheet yeah. to really think <laughs> Think about how this can be built. Um, fast forward and in 2017, 2016, we got our first validation of that content. Uh, we built partnerships with some of the thought-leading institutions around the country. I had recruited a thought leader in this space as my chief medical officer by then. Um, and we just went around the country, tested the content, refined the content, and built the first application on top of it in 2017, which which is when we built a real company then um, to start commercializing, to start validating more models and to start to train some of our existing models. And so this is a cloud-based platform. It is. Mm -hmm. Um, And who are your customers? Who's 
using your application? Yeah, so the um, target of the application as a customer base are really psychiatry clinics. It's mm -hmm. psychiatry clinics that could, on a day-to-day -day care uh, basis, use this application to collect the right level of data in order to make every one of their visits with their patients more meaningful, more effective. Um, that's kind of ultimately that's the customer. We want to help inform them of how to make better decisions. Now, one of the things that um, has happened in this country is especially uh, during and post COVID has come a lot more to light is that mental health is a real crisis in this country and actually globally. But in this country, it's really come to light that there are different ways and more creative models that are required in order to treat patients and to provide better access. There are many, many, the statistics are alarming of places where there, is, there are no behavioral health specialists or providers within a 100 mile radius. Um, so creating better access, creating better delivery models became a national and statewide government, statewide and uh, federal government priority. And so they started funding statewide mm. programs in mm -hmm. order to create better access to care through these creative engagements of like, you know, let's treat the patient in the primary care setting. Mm -hmm. How can we support that? How can we educate them? So this type of funding created new opportunities in behavioral health. And at this point, trade has become the platform of choice for the statewide programs because of the nature of what we've created. Um, their underlying principles and traits where holistic patient uh, engaging the entire ecosystem around the patient and providing equitable access so the data across all populations and include, is included in our um, in training our models and mm -hmm. in making sure we come up with better treatment uh, recommendations. Um, and so that these programs, we were built to deploy easily through these uh, into these programs. So as of right now, our focus really is to plug into all of these statewide access programs that require connectivity, sure. that require treatment of patients where they are, which is at primary care, at school, even at home, home-based programs are a part of it. Well, so that's uh, those are the, the customers that we are currently sure. focusing on. One part of this I'm fascinated to hear about is the data. Is it patient-reported? Is it family-reported? Is it provider? Where's that information coming from? So again, the foundation of trait was to be ecosystem-based. Mm -hmm. So the data comes from everywhere that the patient is. Um, we collect data uh, from the patient directly. We collect uh, from the clinics. So the clinician has data that they put into the system. Uh, the patient uh, himself or herself has a lot of data that they contribute. The patient speaks to the primary care physician. Primary care provides some data. Uh, when the patient is at school, the school counselor has a lot of data that they that are observation based data that they contribute to this information we collect over 750 different factors uh, around a patient um, any individual patient and obviously a clinician's brain is not equipped to synthesize all that information or analyze it so the trade application synthesizes this um, creates more meaning out of them and then in, in provides the clinician with the tools they need to make more informed diagnosis and, and treatment. And 
Does it create a summary or a report of some kind for the provider? It does. It creates, well, it creates visualizations and dashboards and then additional data for research purposes. So um, they have a very clear dashboard of symptom level data and a patient progress over time. Um, It has standardized assessments. So the, you know, mental health and behavioral health is very much questionnaire based. So you collect a bunch of questionnaires Mm -hmm. that are considered evidence-based. We've streamline that workflow and all of it is collected through the trade application. So we track all of that information over time and then we synthesize that with symptom level data that the clinician now has uh, at their disposal uh, to see where do I see the best progress? Where do I see some of this medication side effects? Where Mm -hmm. do I see some um, areas, new areas of issues that have come up that I need to address? Um, This information is available at patient visits Mm -hmm. and it really has an impact and improves how that patient um, clinician um, visits and communication happens. Um, In between those visits, we provide similar sets of information at patient level. So we provide the patient and the patient family similar feedback on you're supposed to be making better progress on this medication. Mm -hmm. If you're not making that progress and you have a new symptom, that's probably the side effect of the medication. Contact your physician. If a patient looks like they're showing an increased level of risk for suicidal ideation, uh, we provide them immediately with... Uh, different tools to help them navigate that process and regulate that process. We immediately can detect those symptoms and alert their emergency contact person to say, you know, this we see some risk as, you know, higher risk with your patient. You might want to contact the physician or in severe cases even recommend to take the you know, call 911 for that patient. These are the types of feedback that the application can immediately detect, synthesize, and run analytics on to mm-hmm. make the appropriate suggestion, even at the patient level. So um, let's say the patient is an adolescent, they've been put on a medication, and they're having trouble going to sleep. Um, the parents want to report that. How do they report that data? So we have... Um, you know, again, because it's an ecosystem platform, yes. everyone in the ecosystem either has a portal directly okay, or they have a secu- secure link for mm-hmm. specific data to be to enter into the application. With an adolescent patient, the adolescent himself or herself has an, has an app, mobile app or web portal that they can input data into. But if the family, and that's 90% of the case, that is the case, the patient reports something different than what the family is observing. So if as a family Mm. member, they also have their own individual accounts that allows them to uh, put information into the uh, portal, no one sees each other's data, but the oh, psychiatrist wow. will see everybody's data. Wow. So they would continue to report on the things that they mm-hmm. observe. They receive a similar feedback during this process that says this, you know, the patient's showing symptoms that are at escalated risk, you know, call the physician. Uh, but once the all of that information comes in, then the visualization of the data when the psychiatrist is looking at it actually includes data visualized by for everybody who's put in data. So if everyone is tracking sleep, yes. it shows exactly what everyone has put in for sleep and it's structured data based on evidence-based content. So you really have a measurement that very quickly shows you how severe your sleep issues are. So if um, a particular individual is 
having significant side effects from a medication, that gets reported. Is it set up so that the psychiatrist or whoever the caregiver is is notified or you, or you have to wait to the next visit? Is uh, no, the psychiatrists are not notified because they... Um, that is that is actually something they don't want to have. Uh, the psychiatrists are not looking at everybody's patient data and they're not yes. required to reach out to the patient. Sure. It puts them at a liability. Mm-hmm. Um, and the shortage of uh, psychiatrists is also causing them not to have the time to be able to do any of those sure. things. So it does notify the family or the emergency contact. There are also privacy lines that would prevent us from reporting it to anybody else. Sure. So we report this to the emergency contact or the guardian in case of a child mm-hmm. um, or an adolescent. Um, that's the kind of reporting that we have. And then we report it to the patient directly. We tell the patient, you're at risk, you need help. Um, seek help, right? That's the kind of... I imagine that over time, you're gathering so much data that it'd be useful for clinical research. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that, or are you Absolutely. Doing so our, you know, our ultimate goal has always been, well, number one is to treat patients and help patients get better mm-hmm. today, uh, but it's also to transform the way mental health is diagnosed and treated overall. So population health level data and research is a core part of why and how we collect data. Um, generative AI, these large language mm-hmm. models, um, you know, chat GPT type platforms have completely accelerated the ability of uh, some of this population health level research to be done. Um, The most important component of that is to have sufficient data to train those models uh, to become more predictive. And so trade health right now is becoming very quickly because of our access programs and deployments across institutions is becoming the largest um, structured and unstructured um, behavioral health data set that is collected over time and in a mandatory structured way of data collection. So consistency, integration, Um, that data set is ideal to train mm-hmm. a chat GPT to provide more predictive treatment and diagnosis recommendation models or the types of even um, recommendations that they could provide to an, to an individual patient in order to improve progress, but also to look at population level data and have the ability to in fact synthesize and say this particular patient profile is responding to that treatment better. So make a general recommendation based on the trained, um, mm-hmm. you know, algorithm. But that training comes from longitudinal data, structured sure. and unstructured data. But in behavioral health, that data has been um, historically collected on pen and paper. So the chat GPT can't be trained on that data. Yeah. But trait is becoming the largest data set that's collecting the data that has never been collected before. So in addition to what is structured in existence. Exactly. Mm -hmm. To me, that's like the cream on top of the, I don't know what to call it, Mm -hmm. but uh, gathering all the data for treatment is one thing, but then as long as you have the data, can you use it? I mean, that's fantastic. To to, to transform. You you change the diagnostic model in behavioral I mean, that's very uh, exciting. That is the holy grail. Let me, if you, uh, to our audience, if you just join uh, this podcast, I'm Jim Tate, and on this episode of the Tate Chronicles, I'm speaking with Maliki Amini, founder and president of Trayet Health. COVID, two years 
I don't think any of us had any idea we would live through. What happened? The government shut down, restaurants shut down, practices shut down, had to go to telehealth, every kind of thing. But the sense of isolationism, and children weren't able to go to school, which probably had more effect on them than adults, I think, possibly. Um, uh, this may be a little bit off talking from your business, but just from your observation, will just time uh, in itself allow us to kind of get back or were, were some, was there a real loss in education or in socialization, you know, especially for young people? Yeah, but yeah. There, it's very well documented that COVID had a very clear direct impact um, on, especially on the adolescent population, and but just not limited. In fact, adults had similar results, but the mm -hmm. adolescent population especially suffered from this, from the isolation and from uh, the kind of the methodology with which they were learning. So. There is clear evidence that academically they have declined, that there isn't the progress they need to be making for their grade level is not the same as what they had prior to COVID. Um, and then in addition to that, the, obviously these are developing minds and socializing and being part of accepted in a community is a very big part of that developing mind. And they were deprived of that. So the anxiety of going back to school was a significant part of what was contributing to mental health issues uh, post-COVID. It was not just the isolation. It was the anxiety that they have to not go back mm -hmm. and have a, have to think about their own social image and um, how to make new friends, how to meet the people, you know, how to have interpersonal conversation. Those were some of the known impacts of COVID. Now, it's important also to know that the trend of mental health had existed long before COVID. COVID just created, number one, a more severe set of situations. So trauma got added to it. Um, people were impacted by COVID. Somebody had died. People had lost their jobs. Their schools had shut down. And so the trauma had created a lot of issues. The anxiety and the isolation had created a lot of issues for them. But they had been, there had the history of suicide and mental health had been building up yes. before COVID. Yes. What COVID did do, however, which I think was in some ways positive, is it highlighted certain things that I think as a society we needed to see. Number one is... Uh, the idea that telehealth is a solution in our healthcare system, mm -hmm. there was so much resistance mm -hmm. on reimbursing for telehealth services. And COVID completely changed that to a point where today, if you don't have access to a, an in-person psychiatrist, telehealth services are reimbursable. Mm -hmm. you, we did prove that the outcomes are similar, that people have access through telehealth. They could be seeing a clinician through telehealth. And so it really transformed something that needed to be transformed in a healthcare system to provide better access, more efficient access for um, patients. That, for, that was a positive impact of how, um, in, in behavioral health especially, how people started to get better access through telehealth. And they got reimbursed and they got paid for the services and people had much easier access instead of driving for four hours for a one-hour appointment. Now they would sit at you know, a telehealth psychiatry clinic. 
That was one area. The second part, I think, that was really important, and it applies to behavioral health in a special way, is COVID was a crisis. And we showed that we can have in nine months public payer, the, the government agencies, private sector, even private sector that competed with each other, within nine months, develop FDA approve and push a vaccine into this into the society in order to contain this pandemic and they did we had it's inc- incredible how we transformed um, and and really got this community out of covid and it mm-hmm. really had to do with the integration of the ecosystem it had to do with breaking a lot of these barriers especially within the public agencies and their relationship with the private sector to be able to make those things happen fda is no not i don't think any drug has ever been pushed into fda without the other end in nine months and through trials so now the public so mental health is now the number one public health issue in the u.s uh, the, we know the Surgeon General speaks about it every day, that this is uh, now the new crisis in the U.S. Um, I think COVID highlighted this and the, proofs, the proof mm-hmm. is there, the proof points are there. And it would be, this is the time that we act the same way towards how we address mental health crisis in the U.S. to bring government agencies, private sector, um, and even the competing agencies within the government to bring them together, uh, bring in the whole ecosystem to make very um, kind of to make integrated decisions and consistent um, you know, and roll out consistent programs in order to address the mental health crisis. We have deployed this in Texas. The state government and the you know pop the. Um, healthcare institutions are working together to deliver these services. Uh, the private sector is involved in, for example, we are involved in managing all of their data and reporting the information to the states and to the agencies. Um, and the results have been incredible outcomes of creating more equitable access, improving patient health outcomes significantly, and reducing the cost of care reducing the burden on the taxpayer. Um, There is a real opportunity if we could expand that kind of solution, that kind of collaboration across the country. And I think COVID highlighted some of that and it can be applied to behavioral health. The the work you're doing beyond just um, expanding access, um, it it seems like the type of data that you're gathering uh, through proper analysis, whether it's through AI or some other way, can really fine-tune treatment protocols. That's a a plus. Oh, absolutely. Um, A patient, so an example could be with, you know, a patient who has a broken leg, right? That patient is seen by an orthopedic surgeon, and x-ray is a definitive response to a treatment. And once the patient's cast is off and the bone has healed, the patient transitions off to, let's say, physical therapy, but they are very clear deliveries of services, very definitive Mm -hmm. diagnostics. Mental health and behavioral health are complex. They have different providers. So a patient that has ADHD and depression and anxiety is seen by different psychiatrists, and they probably have a clinical psychologist that sits in a different institution. And they have another provider that's actually just a therapist that's, you know, helping them through day-to-day conversations. These people have to be able to, they're all trying to treat the same thing. 
right? It's right. not like an orthopedic surgeon and a broken bone. These are different providers treating the same set of issues in the same patient, but they don't talk to each other. What Trade has done, because it's cloud-based, because it's ecosystem-based, we've not only connected the primary care and the school in psychiatry, but we've connected different institutions to each other, right? So mm -hmm. two institutions that are not supposed to, they don't work together, their systems are completely separate. And in fact, they're separated by privacy lines even, are not connected through trades. Oh, sure. And it actually creates a way for three different providers that are treating the same patient for the same set of issues to all have the same level of data and collaborate for the same for the sake of that same patient in a way that's never done in you know in the kind of classic delivery of care. So this is the type of um, connectivity we've created in order to improve. You can't improve the treatment plan with just mm -hmm. the institutional set of data. If you don't connect that ecosystem and the pro different providers, that data set is still going to be incomplete. And that and data that's what set we've transformed. is uh, obviously, I guess, uh, social determinants of health. Absolutely. Yeah, big part of that. Absolutely. Social determinants of health are obviously defined a lot of different health outcomes, right. but in behavioral health, they are directly tied to your health. Yeah. It's not just about access to care. Those who have either trauma in their lives or they have they deal with poverty and housing and transportation and food, uh, they actually have behavioral symptoms. They have depression, they have anxiety, they, they have sleep issues, they have obesity issues. Um, but, you know, which causes more mental health and eating disorder, you know, mm -hmm. challenges. Mm -hmm. So the direct impact of social determinants on behavioral health symptoms is one reason where um, as part of the 750 factors in the data that we collect, we collect childhood trauma, social determinants, even COVID impact in, wow. in personal, in people's lives. Sure. In order to not only know the severity and the background of a patient, but also the treatment. Patients who come from some of these backgrounds potentially may not need as much medication, but a lot more uh, therapy or home-based service type interventions in order to navigate their mental health issues. And so we end up not you know, continuing to over-medicate patients that just show these symptoms because now there is background information that indicates yes. they may not be chemical disorders, but more uh, environmental it's uh, hard, to, hard to believe it, but we're almost out of time. But I've got quite a few more questions, but we'll have to save them for another day. How can our listeners find out more about your company and the work that you're doing? Um, they can go to our website to find out more at trait.health, and that's uh, T like Tom, R-A-Y-T, uh, dot health. And you can find a lot of information about what we do and the work that we do. Uh, you can reach us by sending us an email uh, through contact at trade.health. Um, and if you have even any questions, if you have live in a state where you want to navigate what are some of the services that are available to you, if you're one of the people in a wait list or don't have access, please feel free to reach us also well, through the same mechanism and we'll be you know, happy to help you navigate well, how to use statewide services to well, get the, the care that you need. Well, thank you. To our audience, thanks for joining me in this episode of the Tate Chronicles. Uh, I offer a special salute to my guest today, Ms. Amini of Trayette Health. 
thanks so much for coming aboard today. Thank you for I, having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you. You can find more information on this show's program page at healthcarenowradio.com. Until we meet again, here's wishing you smooth sailing and safe harbors. Thank you very much. Thank you. Tate Chronicles transmission ending now.